and we're back with another great conversation. This is Fluid Truth, and I'm attorney Shirley Skyers Thomas. We explore a simple question of whether there is equity in the justice system. The content offered in this segment is personal reflection and interpretation. The views of my guests are not necessarily the views of Fluid Truth or Quinnipiac University. For clarity, this conversation has been edited. My guest today is my friend and sorority sister, Ms. Tangela Irby. Ms. Irby is an author, educator, podcast host, and quilter. She holds a BS in business administration, a master's in the art of teaching, and a six-year in educational leadership. She's worked professionally with pre-K through 12, and most recently in higher education. She's the granddaughter of G's Ben Quilters, Pearlie Kennedy Petway, and Genzie Lee Irby. Quilting became a way to honor the legacy of her maternal and paternal grandmothers. We sat down to discuss traditions, culture, and how to move the conversation of equity forward. It was a heart-to-heart conversation with us here at Fluid Truth. And I'm so pleased for my guest today, my friend and sorority sister, Miss Tangela Irby. Welcome to Fluid Truth. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you for having me, Soror. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And before we jump into all the amazing things that you're doing and the perspective that you have on equity, before we jump in, can you just share a really quick overview, who you are, where you come from, how you arrived to be talking today? All right. So as you said, my name is Tangela Irby. I was born and raised here in Connecticut, Bridgeport, Connecticut, that is. I lived in Bridgeport majority of my life. I have recently relocated to Shelton, Connecticut, Um, but Bridgeport is my heart. It will always be my heart. Um, I have been an educator all of my life. I've taught second grade. I've been a building administrator. I've worked in higher ed. Um, Right now, I'm working at a local university, working in the social emotional learning space, training and developing teachers and helping teachers to understand their emotions and then in turn help our little ones do that as well. And so um, most recently, I am a children's book author. I've written two children's books and two coloring books, and I also have two journals. So I'm just eager to get the conversation started, and I thank you for having me. We're going to jump all the way into that, and you just left a couple little tidbits, and that's pretty amazing. So you you were saying, Tangela, that you are now in the space of education, and you have been for many years. Mm -hmm. So this gives you this really unique vantage point. So I want to know, what have you seen in the field of education that might suggest equity or inequity? Well, what's interesting, I was just having this conversation with someone else the other day. I think about everything that the pandemic has brought to us. And, you know, COVID has brought some horrible things in terms of we've had to deal with loss um, and the impact of COVID. We're going to be feeling that for a long time. You know, let's just let's be honest. But one of the things that it brings to my mind is I think about how prior to COVID that there were so many issues in education that we couldn't solve. You know, we knew that there was a digital divide. We know that there were children who didn't have computers at home, didn't have Wi-Fi access. We know that hunger is is an issue. There are children who don't have food in their homes, right? So here we are confronted with COVID, and look at what we've been able to do. Children can have school at home. They all have devices now. So it just made me think about when we think about equity and what some of our children have and what some don't have, and how when we were dealing with this horrible crisis and we're still dealing with it, right? But we were able to find some solutions. So I think the lesson to us all is, you know, we should look a little deeper than what we can't do. 
I think with some creative problem solving, you know, there are some things that we can do to support our children so that they can be successful. What are some of the thoughts that you've had of how we can continue to address this? Because you're right, inequities have existed and the pandemic just highlighted everything. Oh my God, just highlighted everything, right? Yes, it did. And I think one of the issues is just that often when we look for solutions, we don't go directly to the source. So I could sit here and I can name all five things I think that they that we need to do, but that might not be what our families need. It might not be what our children need. And so I think the power comes from going to the source and talking to individuals, building relationships and so that people can be open and honest about what they really need for their children. And the other thing, too, is exposure. So as a parent, you might not know what your child is missing because you don't know what the other children have. So we really need to, you know, break down barriers and be able to talk to each other because that's going to help fill in the gaps as well. You know, your children need to be my children. You know, I want your children to have what my children have, and it should be vice versa. It shouldn't be a situation where we feel that we have to compete for resources because ultimately we're going to close the gaps, whatever it is, an opportunity gap, whether it is a learn, whatever the gap is, if we're going to close it, we need to start talking about those things now so that our kids won't have to deal with so much in the future because we have a lot more resources now than we ever. I think about my parents and what they had, you know, my parents dreams for my brother and myself as we grew up and became adults. You know, they wanted us to be educated. They wanted us to go to school. They wanted us to have careers that that um, we loved. They wanted us to not have to do the things that they had to do. Right. Whether it was piecework, whether whatever, whatever it was. But our parents saw a bigger picture that they wanted for us. Most parents have dreams for their children. Let's be honest. Right. Everyone wants the next generation to do better than their generation did. And I think that as we talk to each other, as we hear each other's stories. We open our hearts to want everyone to be better, to do better. In my mind, I can't be successful if I'm not helping somebody else reach a level of success. I think you really hit the nail on the head. And it's a perfect segue, too, because you said we need to know each other's stories. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why I'm doing this podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like to collect stories and accounts of how we see the world, because if we could step into each other's shoes, maybe we're a little bit more empathetic. Maybe we're a little bit more open. Maybe we share our resources to an extent that we hadn't before because we can share story. And by the same token, you have really embarked on this storytelling crusade. Let me pause for a second. Tell me about that. (laughs) Okay. So I see myself as bridging the generational gap through storytelling. And when I think about some of the major things that have happened in this world, when you think about equity and justice, I think about how our stories humanize us. So if we take the time to learn about each other and again, build the empathy muscle that you're talking about, then we're able to hear someone. And, you know, I think about even with the George Floyd case, for example, you know, to hear someone who's saying that they need help. Right. And then being able to learn from the hearing the stories of what has happened in the past. So we go through a process where we're hearing about all these things that have happened and we decided, oh, we're not going to talk about that because that's a blemish on our on our um, past in terms of uh, blemish on our history. So it's like, okay, we're not going to talk about that. You leave the door open for that same exact thing to happen again. So I think we have to talk about it. We have to talk about the people who were unfortunately were on the other end of the action. We have to talk about the person who caused 
the infraction. Whatever it is, both sides, we need to talk about those stories. Because again, if we don't talk about it, if we do not denounce it for what it is, the wrong that it was, it's going to repeat itself. So we have to tell our stories. Let me ask you this, and it's perfect that you're an educator. So when you consider the idea of bringing some accounts that might feel difficult to some populations, how do you feel about that? Do you think it's still our responsibility to bring those accounts and bring that multicultural lens to the classroom? What do you think about that? So the interesting piece about that is, is just what I said. When we don't tell those stories, we open the door for those things to happen all over again. And are they hard to hear? Again, it's hard to hear for the person who was on the receiving end of something that was wrong. And it's hard to hear for the person on the other side in terms of the person who caused it. I think it's a scary place that we're in right now. Because if we're only telling part of history, in which honestly, let's think about it, that's what's been done all these years. We haven't told the whole story. So now the fear is telling the whole story. So how do you get out of that? People need to know the truth. I think my, I don't have children personally, but I would want my nieces. I would want my, I would, I want the next generation to know the truth. And, you know, we look at when you know better, you do better. So we're saying we're not going to have people know we're going to keep knowledge from them. And I think what's, when I read different articles and I see things that are going on, whether it's social media, et cetera, I think what I'm hearing is there's a group of people who are saying, oh, you don't want me to read this book? Okay, so that's the book I'm going to go buy next. That's the book that I want to read. But why not put a more thorough rendering of this historical perspective out there for those who want to really consume? Exactly, exactly. And it's almost like, so am I ever going to argue that the truth shouldn't be told? Is that an argument that you can actually stand on? So I don't know. It's like I go back to the world that we live in right now is an interesting place. Because I don't think, it, I don't, at least in my lifetime, I don't ever remember a time when we were just so polarized. And both you and I grew up in Bridgeport. So we have this perspective of an urban city, an urban city in Connecticut, which has its own little dichotomy right there. But I agree with you. I don't remember the polarization to this extent. This feels like we're really reckoning with something. And it's taking individuals such as yourself to stand up. And you're doing this through your educational pursuits and through your um, through your teaching and through your art. So tell me about what you're writing and how you're intending for this to be a part of the bridge. Well, for me, you know, my family is from an area in Alabama called G's Bend. And G's Bend is rich in history in terms of the civil rights. Dr. King came to visit. Um, There was a time when he was there and encouraging people to go and vote and they needed to go to Camden to vote. And the only way, the easiest way to get there was by ferry. And when people started going, the ferry disappeared. So they had no way to go over there to have their voices be heard. And so even with a story like that, when you, I'll take myself, for example, I'm from a place like that. You know, when you hear those types of stories, it makes you think of your responsibility and how people fought for you to have certain rights and you need to exercise those rights. And so I think about younger generations and they don't hear that story. You know, those stories mean something. If, you know, you come in from a small rural area like that, mm-hmm. like you were on the map. Dr. King came to visit you. You know, right. that's something to be proud of. And so that's just one example of the different stories that are in 
our families. And so I'll give you another example. You know, if we don't know the stories behind certain things that were important to our ancestors, to even for our elders, you know, so you're left with someone unfortunately dies and then you get rid of everything in the house because, you know, you don't want a lot of stuff. Right. Everybody's saying, you know, we're going to downsize. But here is something that holds a lot of historical value for your family. But you didn't you don't know that. And so a lot of times those stories come from talking to our elders and spending time with our elders. And that means putting down the social media, putting down the cell phone, logging out of the computer. Right. And going and talking to someone who's been here longer than you have. And again, I feel that a lot of people, you know, we're moving away from that. And so what I want to do is to encourage people. Everyone has someone in their family who is the person who knows everything. They can tell you how this one is related. Oh, that she says she's not your cousin. She says she's not. That's your cousin. You know, we (laughs) all have someone. And what I hear a lot is that people mute that person. They're like, oh, there he goes again. You know, telling that story again. Well, someone needs to not only listen to the story, but to write that story down. Because one day the family historian won't be here. And then if you're left to go and find that information in a book, it's not the same. And like I said, we already know about the whole thing about what's written and, you know, how, um, you know, you may not get the whole story. So it's best to get the story from someone who actually lived it and can tell you what happened. And so going back to my family story. They're also known in G's Bend for the quilts that they made. You know, they quilted back in the time when they didn't have heat in the houses. And so, and the families were big. So they had 10, 13 kids in one house. And so how are you going to keep all those babies warm? So they wow. used old clothing, they used whatever they had, and they made quilts. And the designs and the styles, it was all what their imagination thought of. It was their creativity. It wasn't something that they saw in a book. Someone didn't tell them that everything had to match, although everything had to be. No, they did what they could do to keep their families warm. And now these quilts are being seen as pieces of art, works of art. And they're being, you know, the Whitney's um, Whitney Museum, um, the Metropolitan Museum. They've been all over the country. There was a show recently in London. The quilts, beautiful yeah, quilts. And they, they also have had situations where the quilters are actually have actually been able to travel. Many of the original ones are, um, you know, they're older now. So it goes back to speaking to carrying on that tradition, because if when we lose them and we're not careful, the art is going to die as well. Wow. So what do you think about this being both a method of survival and now many generations later is now art? It's amazing because I think about all the things that my grandparents endured. You know, my grandfather living in a time where as a grown man, um, someone would walk up to him and call him boy. You know, I think about all those different things, all the different ways that they were disrespected and seen as less than. And now, like you said, we're on the other end of the spectrum. And here we are being, you know, um, praised for our artistic ability, where many of them didn't go to didn't go to finish grade school because they had to farm. They were fishing. They were growing and picking cotton, doing all those things that we know that our elders had to do. So it warms my heart to see that they're being praised. I just wish that my grandmothers had lived long enough to see that. I get that. And it's beautiful that you're encapsulating this and you're capturing it by first you're an educator yourself. And I don't want to lose sight of that. And now you're bringing this same education to yet another 
generation to the younger kids because these are children's books that you're writing. Yes, so, yes. How is it received? Tell me how it's received. Well, I just did a virtual. Um, I, I had been doing it virtually for the last year, visiting schools all over the country, sharing the book. And I just had my first in-person visit this week. And um, the kids were absolutely amazing. They had really good questions and they make connections. They start telling me about their quilts and who quilts in their family and things that are that are important to them. And, you know, it's funny because kids are going to ask you whatever question comes to mind. And so I think about one of my virtual visits last year and I was visiting with a school and a student had a question and he didn't look like me. I'm an African-American female. And Pearl on the cover of my book has little, you know, pigtails. And so his question to me was, why does why does Pearl have hair like mine? Interesting. And I thought about that. And in my head, I'm thinking he gets it. Because one of the reasons, another reason why it was important for me to do the book is that they don't have a lot of African-American characters in storybooks. And so I, I explained to him first, and the story is about my family, so it's important that Pearl looks like me. And then I was also able to say to him about the idea and the thought that they don't have a lot of African-American children in picture books for kids. And I went on to say to him that at that point I hadn't released it, that I was actually going to do another version of the book with a male character. Because truth be told, there yes, there are very few African-American characters, but there are even fewer male characters yeah. in children's books. And so that was important for me to show that side as well. But, you know, kids can have conversations that adults might be afraid to even, you know, bring up when you're having conversations. But I mm -hmm. thought that was amazing that he noticed the difference. You know, if he had seen a lot of books, it, that question wouldn't have been on his mind. And that's what we want children to do when they read books. We don't want them to just read and consume the information. We want them to be curious about what they're reading. We want them to ask questions about what they're reading, because that's really how they're going to learn and grow. So it's interesting that young man that you're making reference to, he wouldn't sit here with us and have a conversation about equity and justice and what it looks like and how it shows up in different facets. But he could say to you, hey, let's talk about this character's hair. And that is enough for us to highlight, oh, my goodness, this conversation yes. or this thought is still pervasive, even at a younger children's level. Right. Yes. So mm -hmm. truthfully, so. It's interesting to me as we're even talking about this that I'm catching that this is a um, this context kind of flows through age groups. It flows through generations. We can sit here and talk equity all day because it's still very relevant, even if you kind of make that um, distinction between your family, you know, the generation that you're making reference to who is making the quilts and the family now who is able to speak on the quilts. And now the next generation who who maybe they don't know anything about quilts, but you're bringing back history for them and saying, hey, this is of a different time. Let's not lose sight of the time. And that to me is important about the equity. Yes, very important. But the other piece I want to add to that, Shirley, is that so in the book, it starts off talking about grandma's making Sunday dinner. So it talks about what's on the menu. Right. And so my mom, who's, who passed away in 2016, was known for her tea cakes. She was known for that was that was her thing. And so uh, a week ago, my niece sends me a text and she says, do you have the recipe for the tea cakes? I want to make them this weekend. 
And so I'm thinking in my head, if you read the dedication of my book, but that was the whole purpose is because I want them to remember the things that my mother did. And I want them to be able to carry that on. Now, I'm going to have to work with her the recipe a little bit, but... But she gets it. And she's also asked, she wants to learn to quilt. And so the whole point was to build that curiosity to have children go hear the book and go home and say, another visit that I did, it was a virtual visit. And um, the student said to me, I'm going to go home and I'm going to ask my parents what we're known for. I'm going to ask my parents, what's our tradition? That's going to spark the conversation. And that's what I want. I love that. And again, I can't say this enough. Once we start the conversations, once we start the stories going, we catch history. But how much of this process were you able to uncover more than you thought that you were going to go in for? You know, were you able to uncover some family history or some family traditions that you didn't even know about? It's amazing that you asked that question because, yes, so I was talking to a family member And as we're talking, and she was telling me again about the Dr. King visit, and she said to me that we had family members who were actually arrested for going out and marching to get the right to vote. And I'm thinking, I'm, you know, I'm not 25, and I'm just hearing this story now. You know, so, um, and then another example was I was talking, it was when Pearl, I just had Pearl out at the time, and I was talking to my uncle. And so I'm telling him about the book. And he said, well, you know, your grandmother taught me to quilt. I said, she did? He's like, yeah, she taught me how to quilt. I've never had to have your aunt sew a button, put a hem in my, none of that, because I could, I learned to sew when I was quilting. Okay. He said, yeah, you know, she used to let me fix her sewing machine. And to this day, my uncle was still good with his hands. I can't help but to believe that that helped in terms of developing his skills and getting him interested in doing things with his hands. But I would have never known that. He would have never told me that if it weren't for me putting Pearl out. So I can only imagine, you know, as time goes on, I'm going to learn more and more. That's another thing, too. When people know that they have someone that's curious, they like to share stories with you. That I think you you are absolutely right about because I don't know if, if it's a matter of generation, but sometimes our elders don't believe that we're interested in the story. And in disinterest, you know, why open my heart? Why why share the pain? Why rip off the band-aid if you're not even interested? Right. So when we kind of move forward to have conversations like this, and, and I bring my family into the conversation all the time, mm-hmm. or if we, you know, engage in, as you're doing visits with schools and children that aren't even related to you, but you're encouraging the conversation, that is a signal for those who actually know to tell us more because you know we don't have the whole story. You know we don't. Exactly. And there's so much more to the story. There's just so much more. It it goes back, it speaks to, you know, um, just making people curious about how they became who they are. You know, so even thinking about, you know, when you're growing up, certain things in your household, whether it was, like I said, in my household, there was always someone reading a newspaper. You know, so we learned at an early age that that was something that was that was important. But these are all things that so think about moving forward. I, I there may be some children that don't even know what a newspaper is right now because people don't. I I was trying to find a newspaper. Can I tell you how many stores I had to go to to get a newspaper? Right. So things change. 
things change over time, but if we're not documenting and talking about it, when I was young, oh, this is what we used to do when, when I was younger. You know, those were some amazing stories. And I know I get that. It comes from my mom. My mom always loved to be around people who were older. And I watched how she interacted with her elders and how she um, honored them. You know, and so that that's that's always been a big piece of me as well, to sit and hear those stories that no one else is going to tell you. You know, when we were um, younger, when our parents would be, say, you know, my mom would be around her cousins or what have you, and they'd be sitting around talking. I was the type of child who always wanted to hear because you were going to get some really good stories sitting at your parents' feet, right? And so I knew that I had to be quiet, not make eye contact, probably be playing with something in the corner, but I was listening to those stories. So I've always enjoyed that. And I know the power of story when it comes to children because of being a second grade teacher. If I pulled out a good book, it's almost like the power of your voice. And I know as a podcaster, you understand that. Or as someone who listens to podcasts, you understand that there's power in your voice. And I think that we need to empower our young people to use their voice and to ask those questions and then to go and write their stories. I have one last thing to ask you about, because again, we could sit here and talk story all day. We cut from the same cloth and I did that intentionally. Um, so how do you, preserve, you see what I did, right? Yeah, I like that. So how do you preserve the story without embodying the pain? Because a lot of our stories are intertwined with a really difficult time for our ancestors, for our parents, for our elders, for our grandparents. Mm-hmm. There is beauty and you know you want to tell the good story like sitting at the feet mm-hmm. of your parents mm-hmm. but you know entwined there is some mm-hmm. hardship there's some hurt hurtfulness there mm-hmm. so how do you preserve the I want to say the efficacy of the story mm-hmm. but not really taking the pain well I think that again being an educator I'm going to go back to this it needs to be age appropriate right so you may not tell all 10 pieces of the story at first. But as the child gets older, maybe you go, you move on to, you know, the seventh piece, the eighth piece, as you're, you know, you roll the story out as it is appropriate. What you don't want to do is to lie about it. If, if at all possible, because that's going to come back and it's going to cause another hurt. That's probably going to go down another generation. Right. And so I think the beauty in the, the beauty of the story is the victory in the story. So you could have had some horrible things that had happened, right? And as you're sharing those stories, and you know, the victory in the story might be you. The fact that you made it, you know, that our uh, four parents went through all of that to get to me. And then now look at what we have. So going back to even talking about the quilts, these quilts were made to keep people warm. They were used for for utility, you know? And now I'm hearing people tell me, so I know you have some jeans being quilts, right? Take it off your bed. Put it up, store it. Because it's being seen as it's a treasure, right? And so I know I balance it, you know. Um, I used to sleep on it under it all the time, right? <laughs> but you know, as they start getting older and they start getting a little more tattered and torn, so that's the balance that you have to have to um, play with that. But it's just amazing when you think again, something that they just they were doing t- to pass the time and it was building community, the women together. 
sharing their stories, talking about, I'm sure they've solved all the problems of the world, sitting around that, that quilt and helping each other quilt it, you know? Um, but look where we are now. You know, there's, I don't know. And it's not all about the monetary value of it. I don't want people, because like the quilt that's on the cover of my book, for example, a quilt like that, now you could probably sell from anywhere from maybe twenty dollars or $30,000. Absolutely amazing. But for me, that's not the value of the quilt. The value of the quilt is, you know, my grandma's hands made that quilt, right? She's no longer here, but I still have the quilt and we can pass it down to the next generation and the next generation. Those are things you can't buy. And I, I love how you said the takeaway is the victory in the story. So I want us to end on that. That's the takeaway. So as I consider the victory in the story, what is ahead for you and what are you moving forward with? And how can people reach out to you if they want to know a little bit about these quilts? Because it's not all fictitious. It's a beautiful story, but it's not all fiction, you know? So how can people connect with you? So I am on Instagram. I am G's Bend Made, G-E-E-S-B-E-N-D, Made, M-A-D-E, Instagram and actually on Facebook. So they can find me in both places. I'm always in my DMs responding to people and answering questions. So I would love to meet folks there. Um, And in terms of what's next for me is, oh, I have so many things in my head, but definitely more books. Actually, I'm supposed to be further along with the next one than I actually am, but I am working on it. And my thing is, you know, I didn't get here by myself. There are other people who also have stories. So if I can be an outlet for them to share their stories on my platform, then that is definitely something that I will be doing moving forward. So more to come. I'm excited. I love it. I love it. Well, my dearest Sora, Ms. Tangela Irby, thank you so much for speaking with me. I appreciate the victory that we have as the end of the story. And there are more stories ahead. Thanks and all the best. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening in today. On the next show, we'll be speaking with Mr. Steve Driffin, playwright, filmmaker, and program manager. Special thanks to our producer, Raynette Shafu and executive producer, David DeRoche. And thanks to the Fluid Truth crew for their assistance. That's Jillian Catalano and Jake McCarthy. Music is provided by Audio Hero from their Jazz Lounge album. To hear more about all of our podcasts, visit qu.edu slash podcast. You can listen to our podcast on the platform or app of your choice. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at QU Podcasts. If you have a story to share or something you want to talk about, find us on social media or shoot us an email. The address is qupodcasts at qu.edu. All right, that's it for today. Until next time.